Awesome. Happy Easter. He is risen. There you guys know. That's like code language in the church. So if you don't know, on Easter Sunday, if anybody ever says, He is risen, you reply by saying, I didn't get the memo when I first started going to church because my family never went to church. I got saved later in life. And so my first couple times going to church, people said, He is risen. I said, He sure has. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what they say, and that's what it says in the Bible. And they're like, no, you have to say. I said, okay, now I'll never forget. A um, couple quick things in the back. Um, there's a men's event coming up where we're going to be at Mike Bergtorf's house next Saturday uh, doing some target shooting, and guys, sign up back there. There's also a map to that event back there you could take. Also, if you are interested in becoming a full-fledged J-Road partner, sign up for that back there as well. That's coming up. And Empower, there's a whole table for Empower. If you didn't hear um, Nicole's announcement last week, um, Empower is having an open house next Saturday as well. Um, and Empower is a program that's going on next year, and I won't even try to begin to explain it, but it is for uh, women to learn and um, become all who God is calling them to be. It's a, it's a year-long program with a lot of work and study and um, if you're interested in just taking your next step in your walk with Jesus, and it's a big one, ladies, uh, you could talk to my wife, Nicole. She's in the front, and you could go to the booth back there and sign up for the open house, which is next Saturday for that. Sound good? Awesome. Hey, if you brought your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 20. Or if it's on your phone, you could open up your Bible app and open up to John chapter 20. And it'll also be on the screens to you if you don't have a Bible or the Bible app. Um, but... Listen, I love celebrating Easter, and I know you guys do too. And it's, a, it's really the most important holiday in the Christian faith. The, you know, Easter is really the most important celebration because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And it's where the foundation of all of our faith comes from, is on this Resurrection Sunday. Um, and so I'm going to spend my 30 minutes here talking about Jesus with you and, and who he is and what he's done um, as you know, Jesus is the beginning and end. Amen. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he's worthy of our worship. And this past Good Friday, if you guys came to Good Friday service, um, Good Friday around J-Road is a very interactive affair. We always have some sort of stations or ways for you to interact. Um, as you could see, we had a station where people came up and just nailed their sins and confession to the cross. Um, and, they, you know, I wanted to leave that there as a symbol that Jesus really did pay it all. You know, the guilt and shame or anything that you might have, Jesus paid it all by his shed blood on the cross. And we also put something out there, out in that hallway out there, what's good about Good Friday. And so it's a very interactive day. But the cross um, and the resurrection always go hand in hand. The cross, Jesus paid the price of all of our sin and all of our shame. In the punishment that was really meant for us, Jesus took on himself. Amen? And he took on that punishment. He paid it. And it says, once Jesus breathed the last breath, the veil was torn in the temple, meaning this separating cloth that was between the world and God that only the priest can go in was torn. And so we have this privilege now of having a close relationship with Jesus because, of, or with God the Father because of what Jesus did. He brought peace, and three days later, he rose from the grave, 
In doing so, he defeated death. And before we get into our main text, I want to look at John 15 up here. Or, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 says this regarding the resurrection. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The grave is, the empty tomb is a symbol of victory. But some of you may be like, Pastor Jim, how, you know, can you, we say that death has no sting and, you know, I've lost loved ones, and it stings really bad. If anybody here has lost a loved one, it's something that we carry around with us for the rest of our lives. The, you know, missing our loved ones. Um, and, and it feels like death, there's still a sting there. And we still, um, and the thing about it is, for those of us that are in Jesus, death is different than the world. For those of us that have put their faith in Jesus, death is different. Death isn't the end. It's merely passing from this earth into eternity. It's merely leaving our earthly vessel, as the Bible says, behind, and our soul continues on. In 1 Thessalonians, it talks about this. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14 says this. It says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, or in other words, for those that have passed away. That you may not grieve as others do who, do who have no hope. He's saying, I don't want you to grieve in the same way that everybody else does who has no hope. Because he says, as us believers, we should be different. Amen? Like we should have, it shouldn't be the same. We shouldn't even grieve the same. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so he's saying, yes, death is sad because we're saying goodbye to somebody. And, but he's saying, for those of us who have Jesus, it's not the same. And it, we shouldn't grieve the same way as those who have no hope. Um, knowing that since Jesus died and rose again, the promise of life everlasting, that's the good news. So Easter Sunday is an awesome day because of that. We celebrate life. It's a day that we can shout and sing that Jesus is our victory. Amen? And so if we look at John 20, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 1. This is a story of Easter Sunday. Um, and so I'm going to make three points about Jesus, okay? If you're a note taker, I'm taking three points about Jesus. Um, and it may be my Baptist education, but it's the three Ps of Jesus. Jesus is powerful. Jesus, um, Jesus is powerful. Jesus is personal. And Jesus is um, patient. He's powerful, personal, and patient. John 20 says this in verse 1 and 2. Now, on the third day, so here we're at, Jesus was just crucified, he was buried. And on Saturday, which was the Sabbath, they were not to go and do work on the Sabbath, all right? And everybody honored that. So they put Jesus in the tomb on Friday, they sealed it up, they guarded it until, you know, through Sunday. And Sunday morning, once the Sabbath was over, they went there to go do, uh, prepare his body and to make adjustments and whatever. They just went to go check on it. And they couldn't do that till Sunday. And so in, in chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. It says, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. And while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, 
They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Okay, this is like the first part of the story. She sees the tomb, the stone is rolled away. She gets scared. She runs back to the disciples and said, hey, they stole in his body. We, you guys need to come quick. And they, and they came back and, and to check it out. And here's the part of the story that maybe you might have missed, but I think is really cool. Um, I think it's pretty cool that the stone was rolled away. All right, now why do I think that's cool? Um, so if you know Jesus and you know this story, you know that Jesus didn't have to move the stone away, right? Like Jesus in his resurrected form could go through walls, right? Like he could just walk through walls. He could walk through the tombstone. He didn't need it to be rolled away. Um, we see in John 20 verse 19, so like a few verses later in verse 19, it says this, and this, this is jumping ahead, but bear with me. The disciples are all meeting in a room. The door is locked because they're afraid they were going to be crucified next. And so they're all huddled in a room with the door locked. And bam, Jesus just appears in the middle of them. All right? It says, John, uh, in 20, verse 19, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the door is being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. So Jesus didn't need to knock. He didn't need to unlock the door. He just, I don't know what you say, but he just appeared in the middle of the room and said, Peace be with you. And they were shocked. And so Jesus can go through walls. So if he can go through walls, why did he move the, why did the angel move this stone out of the way? Why did they do that? Um, I believe the reason the stone was rolled away is for me and you. The reason the stone was rolled away for me and you. I believe it was a symbol that the grave has no more power. Amen? It's like when you look at the grave and they could visualize it, that they put this massive stone to protect this dead person, and when he rolled it away, it was a symbol, not for Jesus, because he didn't really need doorways. It was for you and me to, and for them to visualize that the grave has no power. And it showed that Jesus had power over death. It was a symbol that Satan has been defeated. And if you guys know anything about Satan, our enemy, in John 10.10, 10, it really says he has three main objectives. Do you remember what they are? Yeah. Satan has three main objectives. His, his mission is simple. To steal, to kill, and destroy. And on the cross, Jesus rendered Satan powerless. And listen to me. The only thing that J Satan can do to us is lie to us. Really, Satan's biggest tool in his bag of tricks is deception. He lies to us. And that's really the only thing he can do. He has no power over believers, amen? Like, we, he has no power over us. But he can lie to us. And that's why I say, the, fur, the further we wander away from a, our relationship with Jesus, the more his lies are a lot more believable. Right? The more that we are not walking with Jesus, and we are not spending time praying or listening to his word or being in community like church— the more Satan's lies seem appealing and believable, and that is really his only tactic, is to lie to us. And that's why it's important we know the truth, so we can combat every truth of the lie, the same way Jesus did when he was in the desert um, battling Satan after he was baptized. So the further you get from Jesus, the more his lies sound good. But Jesus is powerful. He did not need to move the stone. He did that, really, for you and me. And that comes in our next point. He, Jesus comes to us. He calls us by name. Jesus speaks truth because Jesus is personal. Jesus is personal. Look at John 20, 
verse 15 through 16. So Mary Magdalene got the other disciples. They ran back to the tomb. They saw it was empty. And then Jesus appears to Mary. And when he appears to her, she really doesn't know who it is at first. She thinks it's somebody else. Maybe he looked different in his resurrected form. Maybe she just wasn't expecting that, you know, whatever it is. But this is what it says in verse 15 through 16. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Like, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Suppose, supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you, had, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. I right, think about that. Jesus just replied, Mary. And instantly she knew it was Jesus. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, like beloved teacher. And all he had to do was call her by her name. He called her by her Hebrew name, uh, Miriam. And he said, you know, Mary, Mary. And he said, Mary, um, depending on how you translate it in the original form. But it was a way that he said it, that she had to know it was Jesus. Maybe Jesus said her name the same way every time. And maybe if you're like me, your mom or dad says your name. And when you hear your name from your mom or dad in a loving way, not a, not a disciplined way, because we all know how our names are disciplinary ways. Mine is James Lee. <laughs> I know I'm in deep trouble if I say that. Um, but maybe you have a name for your child. And when you say that name for your child, they instantly know that's mom or dad. And that's what Jesus was doing with Mary. He just said, Mary. And she knew it was Jesus, and she turned, and she got excited, and it was like the veil was taken off. And he must have said that name a thousand times to her. Charles Spurgeon, who's also called the Prince of Preachers, says, Jesus can preach a perfect sermon in one word when he preached on this passage. He said, Jesus is the perfect preacher. He is God. And he said, Jesus could preach a perfect sermon in one word. And his sermon to Mary that morning was just Mary. He's like, what would you do if Jesus came up from behind you and said your name? Would any of you be shocked? Be like, what are you, what are you doing here, Jesus? <laughs> I'm not your guy. <laughs> I'm not your guy. Uh, or just in awe that Jesus knows us. But Jesus is personal. And, and the God that we serve is a personal God. It says this, and I told this to my kids, and they were a little surprised and taken back. But I said, God knows every hair on your head. And Jonathan's like, that's like 5,000. I'm like, it's something, but he knew it. He knows it exactly. Because we have a God that loves us. And I don't know about you, but I know everything about my kids. And I don't know that. Right? I know everything about my boys. I don't know how many hairs are on their head. And that's how much God is a student of you. That's how much God loves you and he cares about you. He thinks about you. He's a personal God. Amen? And this is what's cool is Jesus didn't reveal himself to Mary by saying who he was. He revealed himself to Mary by saying who she was. And so he said, this is who you are. And she's like, oh, this is who you are. And a lot of times God reveals himself to us by revealing stuff about ourselves to us. He did it with the woman at the well, right? He said, I know you. He said, he said, go get your husband so we could tell her. And she's like, actually, I'm not married. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Uh, 
you've had five husbands, and the, and the man you're living with right now is not your husband. And she's like, oh my gosh, you know so much about me, you must be God. And that didn't offend her like we think it might. If somebody said that we had five husbands and the guy we're living with now isn't our husband. But she knew that it was God, and it, it made her in awe of who he was. And so we have to remember who we are and who God says we are. Who, who are we? We have to realize that we're made in the image of God. I think about this anytime. I mean, I'm in the people, I'm in the people world. I'm in ministry all the time. You guys, some of you might work with people a lot. Somebody, some of you might work on your own. But if you're in the people world, you might know that people sometimes are annoying. All right, can I just be honest and say that? There are some people that make you mad. Yes, has anybody ever made you mad, Megan, in your life? Probably not, no. <laughs> people sometimes get under my skin, uh, and I'll be honest, uh, ne never any of you guys. If anybody's listening on live stream or anybody here, nobody's ever gotten my skin here. Um, but let's just say hypothetically, well, somebody did. You know what I keep telling myself? Yeah, you back there for sure. I won't say who, Mark. Um, but you know what I tell myself when I become across a difficult person that's difficult to love? Is that person is precious in the sight of God. Whenever I find somebody that's hard to love, I don't care who they are, if they are, uh, you know, have the, the lowest person in society or the highest person in society, a jerk or whatever they are, I have to go back to keep telling myself they were made in the image of God and they are precious in God's sight. And how I treat them, I want to be held accountable for how I treated somebody who is precious to God. And that usually writes my behavior and gets myself in a better state of mind. Amen? Um, we are the, made in the image of God. We are what's called the crown of creation. And we are God's beloved children. And he loves us so very deeply. And I don't want to ever be accused of mistreating somebody that God loves so very deeply. Because if God really loves us like our father, and I don't want him to feel like how I'd feel if you mistreated one of my kids, I don't want anybody, I don't want God to feel that. So I treat everybody like they are, like they're precious to Jesus. And so Jesus knows our name. And, and why is that cool? And I'll say this real quick. I won't spend too much time on this. But the people we worship in this earth, most of the people that we worship on earth, don't know our name. And God is inviting us into worshiping him, and he knows us by name intimately and personally. Now think about this. Does anybody out there know guys uh, or women, or men or women that are really into sports? Like really, really into sports. Like they spend thousands of dollars on a Lions jersey. They know every player's name, and they know every Lions quarterback stat going back to, you know, Charlie Batch or maybe even before that. I don't know. That's my knowledge. goes back that far. And they're like, they, they're, they worship a sports team. And maybe they worship a figure, like let's just say Tom Brady. And they just love him and they wear his jersey. They pay thousands of dollars to go see him. And they pay all this money and they worship him. And I'm telling you right now, if you were to show up in the Buccaneers locker room, Tom Brady would have you thrown out on your butt. And you're like, but I spent tens of thousands of dollars. I even have your autograph card, your autograph jersey. I go to all your games. I know everything about you. I've worshipped you my whole life. And he says, get out of here. I do not care. That's what he's going to do. Right? And the artists that we worship and the people that we put our life into worshipping, which is not bad to be fans of sports or artists or musicians, but those people don't know you. And to be quite honest, if you showed up and told them how much you love them, 
They don't care. They hear that all the time, and they'll throw you out on your keister. <laughs> and I say that because the God of the universe is so much higher than any celebrity we could even fathom. He created the universe with a thought, and he created us, and he invites us into the throne room to pray anytime we want. And he says, I know you personally and intimately. And so, come to me, come to me, come to me. I love you. I love you. And so, and we neglect that, and we go after things that don't matter. And God is saying, man, if we understood how big God is, he created the universe, and that this has been blowing my mind a lot lately, like prayer, like a lot of times you blow off prayer. Think about this. The God of the universe asks us to pray whenever we want. And we have that privilege to step into the presence of God in prayer whenever we want. And he says, do it as much as you can, I'll listen. My ear is always listening, and I'm ready. And many of us do it once for five minutes every few days. And it's like, gosh, I think we're going to get to heaven and be like, man, there's so much power we left on the table on earth that we could have had access to that we just didn't tap into. And that's why the Bible says, you do not have because you do not what? He's saying, ask. The door is open. The Father's door is always open. And he's saying he knows us personally. And last but not least, Jesus is patient. I think I like this one the most. I like him personal. I like his power. I like his patience. Because I don't know about you, but I need a lot of God's patience. You're like, but you're a pastor. You don't sin. Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Yes, I sin all the time. Um, I'm just like you. Um, and everybody else. Do you guys know uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, right, on Good Friday, the rooster crowed, and he was so depressed, and he went away, and really followed, think about this, he spent almost every day with Jesus for three years, and the day Jesus needed him to be there, he fled, and he lied, and he said, I've never met that guy. Who? Never met Jesus. It's like it's like if the world was coming to an end here on earth and we had to just stand up and proclaim the name of Jesus and we, we chickened out and said, I don't even know who Jesus is, man. I don't go to Jerry Road. I don't know. Pastor, <laughs> I work at Wesco. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and it's like just denying Jesus three times. And the first thing Jesus did, or one of the things he did after he rose from the dead, is he went to Peter and he restored Peter. And he wanted to say, hey, Peter, even though you screwed up royally, everything's okay do you love me? Remember, he said, do you love me? Peter said, yes, I love you. He said, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Three times. He said, go feed my sheep and take care. He restored Peter. He, Jesus is patient. Jesus is not angry. Jesus is not, if we sin, he's not just ready to like stomp on our heads. He's ready to restore us. And so uh, real quick, the end of the story in Matthew, in John 20, 25, sorry, Jesus appeared to the disciples but when he appeared to them, one wasn't there, Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. Has anybody ever heard of the term doubting Thomas? All right, it gives really Thomas is a bad name everywhere, and so I'm sorry if your name is Thomas. Um, but, it, but that's where we get doubting Thomas from, is, is Jesus appeared to the disciples, and all of Thomas's friends said, we saw Jesus. He's, he's rose from the dead, and he's different. Like, the dude is going... You know, he's teleporting in and out of rooms, like not even using doors. And he's risen. He's Lord. And Thomas says, I don't believe it. Okay? John 20, 25 says, So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. He's risen. 
But he said to them, unless I see his hands in the marks of the nails, and I place my finger in the marks of the nails, and I place my hand into his side, I'm kind of like gross, Thomas, that's kind of gross. Why did you have to say that? But um, unless I stick my hand in his side where they pierced him on the cross, I'm not going to believe he rose from the dead. And when I read this, he said, he's basically saying, I'm never going to believe unless I could put my whole hand in his side and put my fingers in his nail holes. I don't care what you say. I'm not going to believe. And when I read this, I can't help but think, this is really the highest form of blasphemy that, I've, that you read in the Bible. Somebody like Thomas who Jesus said, hey, I'm going to raise three days later. I'm going to die. I'm going to raise. And, and he says, I don't care what you say. I'm never going to believe. And this blasphemy that he said, and he said, I'm just surprised by how Jesus reacts. He's basically saying, yeah, right, Jesus, prove it. And Jesus could have ascended into heaven being like, you know what? Forget you, Thomas. Forget you. You know, I'm not letting you stick your finger in my nail holes and stick your hand in my side. He could have said that. And it's like God is so patient. I don't think I would have reacted that way. And God, Jesus is so patient, and he reveals himself to Thomas and lets him do what he requested. And that's awesome to me, because Jesus is so much more loving, so much more patient than I am. Look at what it says in John 20, 26, and 27. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. And all door, although the doors were locked, Jesus just came and stood among them. Jesus wasn't about knocking. After he rose from the head, he's like, I'm done knocking, all right? Done knocking, I'm just going to go through doors. And he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, hey, Thomas, come here. I want you to, like, put your fingers in the nail holes in my hand. And you know what? Bring your hand over here. I'm going to let you put your hand into my side where they pierced me. And I'm just like, number one, that was such a weird request by Thomas. And it was <laughs> just so weird. I want to, like, stick my whole hand in your side. It's just weird to me. I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just weird. Um, and the fact that Jesus is like, okay, come here. Bring your hand over here. It's like, I love you so much, Thomas. I'll let you put your hand on my side if you will believe. I'll let you put your, you know, finger in the nail holes. If you, that's what it's going to take for you to believe. Because I love you, and I don't want to leave anybody behind. And I'll come to you. And folks, if you're here today and you are struggling in your faith, it is okay to ask questions. Thomas asked questions to our Lord. It's okay to be like, God, I'm struggling with this whole Christianity thing. You know, rising from the dead, I'm struggling. It's okay to say that. And I believe if you say that with a pure heart, God will reveal himself to you. And he did it with Thomas, and he will do it with you. Because he's personal, he's powerful. He's patient. And so, Jesus, what I got from that is Jesus never stops chasing after you, and he doesn't give up. What parent here, if they lost their child, out, you know, you were out at a park and you lost your child, would look for about five minutes and be like, yeah, we had a good run. <laughs> Sorry, Tibby. Wherever you are, I hope you... Uh, yeah, if you make it home or not, it's all right. What, what of you are walking your dog and your dog gets off a leash is going to say, honey, if we had a good run with Fido, he'll find somewhere to go. No. 
And the God of the universe will never stop chasing after you because he loves you. And you're the crown of creation and you're perfect because of the blood of Jesus. And he loves you. He wants you. You're enough. And he's coming after you and he wants a relationship with you. So the path has been cleared by the cross and the resurrection. There's no more blocks for you to come to Jesus. If you are already in relationship with Jesus, I mean, amen, let's just celebrate and tell other people about this hope. If you don't know Jesus, if you are kind of half half in, half out in your faith, Jesus didn't die on the cross for you to be half in and half out in your faith. Amen? He didn't like die on the cross so you could be a casual Christian who goes to church when you feel like it and reads your Bible and pray when you feel like it. Jesus died on the cross and rose again so you could be all in. And he wants you to be all in on him. Amen? It's like, wow, that's a lot. That's why he says, count the cost. Don't follow me if you're not willing to count the cost. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we can be casual and cavalier about our faith with him. Man, he wants us all in. He wants us praising him, worshiping him, reading our Bibles, in community with other believers. He wants us to be all in. And that's what he wants for us. He says, count the cost. He never promises it's going to be easy. I'll say this one last time and I'm going to pray. He never promises it's going to be easy, but he promises to never leave us or never forsake us in the pain and in the trials. Let's pray. God, we love you so much, and we just thank you for this day. And God, we know that you, you never said it's going to be easy. We ne- you never said every day is going to be a cakewalk. But you did promise to never leave our side, to stop comforting us and taking care of us. And so, God, we lean into that. God, if there's anybody here that's kind of been cavalier, or half in, half out, Lord, help them to know the blessings of being all in so we can be close to you. We can recognize the lies that Satan tells about us instantly. And we could just live life here victoriously. We could live out the victory we see on Easter every day, not just on Easter, Lord. We could live out our life here every day in victory. So God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.